It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to this Sunday edition of the Eurocopa podcast. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thanks for joining us tonight. Today we'll review the now, the now, the now completed quarterfinals of Copa America, as well as update you on the way things look in the European Championships. And in order to do that, as well as talk more U.S. men's national team, I'm joined by Karthik Krishtayer and Robert Hay. First of all, everyone listening out there, happy Father's Day. And we have to uh, acknowledge here that since the start of the Eurocopa podcast, Robert is now a new father for the third time is that right robert that's correct yes so how did you celebrate father's day today robert well i celebrated by convincing my kids to watch uh the albania romania match with me (laughs) which um maybe maybe not the highlight you know maybe not what everybody does usually on father's day but eh, you know they got some enjoyment out of seeing the uniforms so so, so basically, you watch soccer today, which, to be honest, is about an ideal, as ideal a day as possible for uh, the present company, right, Karthik? That's all we would love to do on any holidays, just watch soccer. <laughs> That's all we do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sadness in Karthik's voice is, is palpable. Uh, <laughs> Robert's kids are learning the hard way. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, gentlemen, let's talk about Copa now. So we talked about, uh, after the U.S. men's national team win, we talked about that game. We found out who they are playing, and it's none other than arguably the best attacking team in the world right now, which is Argentina. Uh, and let's talk about that game. Robert, let's start with Argentina's win. Uh, it is a 4-1 win. And the way I look at it, Argentina were exceptionally good for about 75 minutes. There's the early Higuain goal that set them on their way. Uh, and then, interestingly, it, at 2-0, it was Sergio Romero who kept them in the game. And uh, we'll talk about what happened with the PK and stuff. But it, it was a bit of a mix back with Argentina. But realistically, they were always going to win this game, weren't they? Yeah, you felt that way, especially early on. I mean, we've been talking about it going in for since the beginning of this podcast um, and how, how its quality is and what he brings to this tournament. And what we saw in this match was just uh, basically what how good he is. Um, the, you know, the assist from Leo Messi to set up his first goal and then just the finish there. Um, he's he's a world-class striker and showing it off in this tournament. So, um, and, and you're right, you know, just that threat, that constant threat from Argentina's attackers was there. That always made you feel like even if um, the score was 2-1 or it got a little bit close, that Argentina would be able to pull it away. Um, so I, they, they bossed this game from the big, you know, for the first three-fourths of this match. And then Romero, uh, you know, you all talked about would he be on form, not getting as much playing time, you know, how would he play for the national team? He truly looked like he was in the middle of his club season 
uh, with some of the saves he made. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it won the, uh, the, the try the chip over his head. I yelled at my wife to come back into the room because she missed the save of the tournament, right. I thought. But, um, yeah, I mean, Argentina looked like not only the best attacking team, but arguably the best team in the world. Um, and that's a very scary proposition for a U.S. team that's going to be missing some players coming up, up this week. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that preview here in a minute. But Karthik, let's stick with Argentina here. Uh, Romero does give up a PK in spite of those exceptional saves. And then one of the worst PKs <laughs> you'll see. Uh, another <laughs> missed Panenka. It, lo- it, you know, it looks great when you pull it off, but when it doesn't, you look like an absolute idiot. And they, you know, they'll have the feeling there that had that goal gone in, had it gone to 2-1 before halftime, this could have been a different outcome. Yeah, because I felt like Venezuela was was really getting into the game at that point, right? I yeah, mean, it, yeah. it felt like they, they they were gaining a foothold, they were overwhelmed, they were awed by the occasion, whatever the case, in the first uh, 20, 25 minutes, and they really began to get a feel for the match at that point. Uh, that Miss Paneka... Uh, and, and and you're right. When you pull it off, it's brilliant. We we rave about Pirlo pulling it off in the Euros in 2012. Was it? I think that's right. Uh, when yeah. he did it, yeah. Yeah. it became a, a fat again, a sensation, a sensation once again. Yeah. When you miss it, it just it just sucks the air out of your of your team. So that's um, that was a tough one for Venezuela, but they still had a very good tournament getting to this stage. And in in Argentina's case, uh, they uh, they keep motoring on. Uh, we're waiting to see if they can actually close the deal in this tournament. And, and it's going to be tough to write the analysis of Argentina mm-hmm. until this tournament is done. We can, we can analyze other sides as the tournament progresses based on expectations. Right. Argentina's sole expectation was to win this Copa. And uh, they're progressing nicely toward that goal. They haven't had any real hiccups yet uh, in, in, in that uh, aim. How, whereas everybody else in the tournament has had some, some, some difficulty somewhere. Yet, it seems like uh, unfinished, unfulfilled business. Uh, one thing I, I, I do want to point out, though, is I think when you've got uh, Messi playing like this and you've got Iguain, who's coming off a great club season in, in this form, it's very tough to defend them. And I, I, I think the U.S. is going to have a hard time as far as the tactical matchups on Tuesday. Yeah, I agree with that. And and uh, maybe Karthik's right, Robert, that we can't really analyze Argentina as a whole. So let's talk about some specific players here. And uh, I, I said on the last podcast, or maybe two podcasts ago, that I thought Angel Di Maria would be a huge miss. I mean, yesterday, Nicolas Gaetan was incredible. He played that role Di Maria plays down the left, uh, was pretty much unplayable. And what's frightening about this Argentina team, Robert, is that even when Gaetan himself pulled up with a possible hamstring injury, you had Eric Lamella come in for him. So this team is a real uh, is filled with some incredible individual players. Yeah, and and you're right, and that's really where the depth comes in. And there's some there's some talent. If somebody's not producing, or someone's injured, or you would be suspended for some reason, they have someone else who can come in and, and either change the look or contribute. Um, and, and you know, it's to touch on Kartik's point as well. Leo Messi was a goal threat, no doubt, in this match, but he was also providing, as I mentioned, some great assists for Higuain. And so you, it just that the scoring threats come from everywhere. Um, the contributions, uh, you know, for setting up goals are coming from a lot of different places. If one player is off, another player will step up. Um, and it's Argentina responding to basically what that expectation is. Um, I think that's maybe what what the most impressive thing is about them right now is the expectation is to win. That's what they're supposed to do in this tournament. And what they're showing right now is 
the players want to win. The coaching staff is, is playing this smart and, and playing it well, and they haven't had any hiccups. Um, so even though we can't judge them yet, they are responding to expectations uh, or meeting what I guess the expectations would be to this point, which is looking forward to winning uh, this tournament. So they've been impressive to watch. Um, the the contributions from around the field have been impressive. Uh, maybe what we want to see from the U.S. match is who's going to be the star player in this mm-hmm. match uh, for Argentina. And that, that'll be it may, may, maybe somebody that we, re- we expect. Maybe it'll be you know, Messi again or, or maybe it'll be someone else completely. And that's, that's kind of the scary thing about this team is who's going to be the next contributor that's going to get the star of the game. Yeah. Another example of that ridiculous depth is, of course, uh, Karthik's beloved Sergio Aguero coming on for Higuain. Aguero, in his own right, <laughs> one of the best five strikers in the world, uh, is coming in for another uh, one of the best five, five strikers in the world. And, of course, they're playing ahead of someone unknown, Leo Messi. Uh, Karthik, let's talk about that semifinal now when we analyzed Leicester City last year uh, you me uh, Richard pretty much everyone focused on those one-on-one matchups all throughout the pitch I think anyone who's maybe not an American outlaw supporter will agree that uh, the U.S. team will lose every one-on-one matchup on that at least on paper against that Argentina team so what is the blueprint for the U.S. men's national team to win this game because it's not those one-on-one matchups. It has to be some tactical innovation. Right. So, of course, the U.S. beat Spain in a competitive match seven years ago. I need to point that out. And that was Spain's only loss in, in about a three-year period. And and what happened in that match, and, and there was an exceptional player by the name of Charlie Davies uh, on the counterattack, which the U.S. doesn't have. Maybe Bobby Wood could have provided that. Maybe right. Jaya Cesardes could provide that. Uh, but what... Bob Bradley did in that match was he set up two lines of four and he essentially had his center backs, uh, excuse me, his full backs pinch in. So conceding the flanks of letting Iniesta, uh, while running even the overlapping runs from uh, Capdevilla and 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 uh, and, and uh, Jordi Alba, I can't remember if it was Jordi Alba at the time, but but whoever from Spain, uh, allowing that to happen, but just defending in numbers in the area. So when the crosses came in, uh, or, or or when uh, Iniesta tried to to dribble into the area or, or quick passing, there were there were guys in the way, right? There were there were enough bodies uh, down the spine of the pitch. Now I'm not sure Klinsman is going to do that. And part of the reason he can't do that, or it's going to be difficult to do it, is Jermaine Jones being out, right? So you're, you're probably going to turn to Beckerman. Then you're going to have to make a decision as to your replacement for Bedoya. Bedoya was very important defensively on Saturday against, uh, excuse me, whenever that game was, Thursday against Ecuador, in, in pinching back and doing a lot of covering for um, for Fabian Johnson. So you're, you're probably releasing, replacing him with a Zussi or a Nagby. And then you don't have the great counterattacking threat like Bobby Woods. So right. the two, 2009 playbook for, of how the U.S. beat Spain is the quickest thing that comes to mind in this sort of game, one-off game in a, in a tournament. However, the U.S. doesn't necessarily have the personnel. The U.S. would have the personnel to pull it off again if not for the suspension. So what happens? I think you, 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 have, to, you have to put your best 11 tactical or best 10 tactical field players out there. So that might require starting Nagby because he can hold the ball in tight spaces, even if you think his defensive work rate and maybe his positioning sense isn't as good as some of the other players. Maybe that involves a Christian Pulisic getting, getting a start. 
in Wood's place because he can he can stretch the field. He can push into wide areas. There's a lot for Jurgen Klinsmann and his staff to consider. But you're right. Uh, matchups, one-on-one, t- uh, 10v10 field players, Argentina wins just about every battle. Yeah. One position that I guess now that we were talking about it that I can think about, Robert, uh, is uh, one, one flaw I guess I saw in Argentina was I often saw space between Otamendi and Rojo. And I feel like if De- if we can get Dempsey the ball in a good space with some good crossing, and that will rely heavily on the likes of Yedlin uh, and maybe some set pieces from Michael Bradley, who, who has some very good set piece delivery, that's an area that the U.S. men's national team can look to exploit. Yeah, the question is, is that the kind of uh, we see a piece of a paintbrush in the Mona Lisa kind of flaw where it's like, <laughs> eh, it doesn't really matter, does it? Um, yeah, I, I do think that this is, I mean, this Argentina team, as well as they're playing, does have some flaws. And, and like Hardik said, with the suspensions, it's going to be very hard for the U.S. to, to exploit them. Um, so here's here's what I'm, my thought on this, this match right. is. Um, Lead us, Robert. Since, Lead us. <laughs> this, is, this is the defeatist attitude coming in. Since it doesn't matter the result, I think it's been made pretty apparent that uh, for, for Jurgen Klinsmann and the progress of the national team, the U.S., U.S. soccer doesn't consider this a must-win. What what does it hurt to try some things out, like bringing in a Pulisic, which, as you all know, I've been against starting from the beginning, but trying some things out, putting some of these young players out there and saying, you know, you're facing a really good team. You might have the explosiveness, the, the creativity that you could allow us to hang in this game or at least cause a threat, exploit some of that space, or win those free kicks that we might not otherwise get and give Michael Bradley a chance or whoever a chance to to create some chaos in the box and score some goals. What if we throw some of these younger players on there and say, you know what, you bomb out here, it's not the end of the world, we did well, we, we lost to a good team, um, let's see if we can and create some magic here. Um, that might not be a bad strategy to sit there and say, we might lose 7 nothing. not that that would happen in this <laughs> tournament, but it doesn't matter. You're going to, Jurgen Klinsmann is going to keep his job let's get creative and let's try and see some players go up against some of these uh, best players in the world and see what happens it might be ugly but it might be create some magic who knows yeah i think uh, that's an interesting point karthik because uh, with the amount of our, our analysis has changed about klinsman uh, it, it is it would be a brave decision to play those players because if things go south and as uh, robert alluded to a seven nothing win a uh, loss might happen we might be arguing that that uh, Klinsman threw the young guns like Pulisic and Nagby and Zardes uh, to the wolves, and uh, and that they it was poor management. So uh, it's an interesting, interesting uh, hypo- hypothetical, isn't it? Right. I, I doubt the U.S. loses seven nil, and I think, in fact, perhaps Mexico losing seven nil has given Klinsman the flexibility to do what Robert said. So now uh, the U.S. has gone further than Mexico in the tournament. That's the barometer. All of us. The U.S. by and, and it's because even though the U.S. Re- regularly beats Mexico in the CONCACAF region and gets results against Mexico, it seems like in major tournaments Mexico tends to do better, or at least e- even if they they get to the same stage, they tend to look better in the process. So I think uh, that's a major hurdle off of Klinsman's uh, or major uh, weight off of Klins- uh, Klinsman's back, a major hurdle he crossed in this tournament. Uh, that having been said, you're at home and. 
there is really no excuse to, to, to feel like we're overwhelmed. We're going to get beat 4-0, 5-0. Uh, this, is, this is a situation where if you manage the game properly, you manage expectations uh, properly, and you manage your players in, in, in a way that, that makes sense, then, uh, then, then, then you have a chance. So I think it, it's, a, it's a tough decision because – your point is is very well taken. That if you if you throw Nagby, Pulisic, uh, those sorts of players out there, you might be throwing them to the wolves if things go exceptionally bad. However, at the same time, it gives you an opportunity to really throw some of the guys that are going to be critical in Russia in 2018 in the pressure cooker uh, of a game like this with, with the crowd in, in a frenzy, no doubt, in Houston and, and with a national television audience and people talking about it around the country, people who don't normally watch soccer. So. If you're looking at a a real um, at, at this game, it's a real opportunity for the United States. It's a real opportunity, even if you lose, to bloodlet guys and simulate the kind of pressure they are not going to feel again until the 2018 World Cup. Sorry, uh, Concacaf qualifying. I know there are all these apologists for for the for the U.S. and for the U.S. men's national team who say, "Well, uh, teams in Europe don't have to go down to Honduras to qualify. No, they have to go to places like Montenegro and mm-hmm. uh, and Romania, where the crowds are tougher and the teams are better. So you you don't simulate this sort of atmosphere." and this sort of pressure, unless you're playing outside the CONCACAF region, this is the last competitive match the United States might play outside the CONCACAF region until Russia 2018. So that means guys that you don't think are going to be around in 2018, like Kyle Beckerman, great servant to the, to the, to the cause, Jermaine Jones, Jermaine Jones is suspended, so he's out. Maybe you, 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 you roll the dice, maybe you play Perry Kitchen. Uh, and because you, you think he's going to be a part of what you're doing in 2018, maybe you play Darlington Nagby instead of Graham Zusi. Graham Zusi could still be around in 2018, but um, he may not be. Maybe you play uh, uh, someone uh, else uh, on the back line. Uh, although Yedlin is back, so I think that that that, that situation resolves itself, right? Yed, mm-hmm. Yedlin is back from suspension. Yeah. So I, I think the U.S. has to look at this as an opportunity. And uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, the pressure is off, right? Uh, should it be off? Uh, that's debatable. I, I think uh, uh, he set a very uh, low benchmark to get to the semifinal, and, and he's done that. So I guess the pressure is off. But uh, look, this is an opportunity. And, and when we look back at the Klinsmann years and and his tenure and we write the postmortem on his legacy, this game might factor into that. Did the U.S. give it a go? Did they give it a fight? Or did they – play very meekly and lose 4-0 hmm. yeah and uh my final thoughts on this are uh key matchups you talked about yedlin it could be Di maria he, he might be fit it could be gaitan it could be uh, lamella he comes up against but it's going to be one of those three and he actually had a good game up against lamella when tottenham played Sunderland. but um Outside of those matchups, the other big one is, of course, uh, the player of the tournament so far from a U.S. men's national team perspective, and that's John Brooks. How he handles the movement of Higuain, whether he man marks Higuain or if he goes with, with Messi. And if he goes with Messi, the fact that Messi drops as far deep as the halfway line, does that destroy the structure of the U- U.S. defense? So there's a lot of tactical things that Will be this is at. why it's so, uh, so such a, such a nuisance for the United States to be without Jermaine Jones in this match. I think Jermaine Jones could have done a lot of shadowing of Messi, could mm-hmm. have done a lot of that type of work. Uh, instead, now I, is that going to become Michael Bradley's responsibility? Is that going to be Kyle Beckerman's responsibility? I, I don't trust either one of those guys as much as Jones in that role. So Fast, you don't think Kyle Beckerman can keep up with Messi? That's insane. 
<laughs> All right, I'm gentlemen. not saying Jermaine Jones could either, but he's he's a vet, he's you know grizzled veteran of European football. And he has speed, he's, yeah. He's, and he has he's speed, fast, right? Yeah, yeah. And and he reads the game better than Beckerman or Bradley does, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen. Before we go to the other se- other semifinal, let me tell you about our sponsor, SeatGeek. Uh, have you ever been frustrated trying to buy s- tickets online? Most seat most sites make it complicated, and they all try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you should need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, gentlemen, and I just used the other day to look at tickets uh, for a concert in Chicago. And I found it very easy because they put all the tickets into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events and SeatGeek will allow you to know if ticket prices fail. So it's a good way, uh, not fail, fall. So it's a good way to keep track of those uh, pricey tickets. And then best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, they show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. And my listeners get a $20 rebate off of their first SeatGeek purchase. And this is how you do that. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app. You go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. You enter the promo code WSTPOD and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So what are you waiting for? Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code WSTPOD. All right, gentlemen, let's talk about the other semifinal, uh, which will be, Col- uh, which will be Colombia versus Chile. So let's talk about Colombia first, uh, uh, Robert. Colombia versus Peru. It was a game that went to PKs, but I think what's important to note is that, uh, it, it was a game of few chances for both, for either team, but the chances did tend to fall to the, the same players that we usually think of in terms of James hitting the post, in terms of James and Codrado linking up. So those are the players that will be the focus for the semifinal. Yep, and I think those are the players that uh, Colombia needs going forward to play as well as possible in order to get past a tough matchup. So to see them play well in this match, even though they didn't result in a goal in, in you know, regular time, was was good. So uh, that's a positive. The other positive is I mentioned, um, I think early on in this podcast, David Ospina, you know, he hasn't had his stinker yet, and he made a kind of a lucky save in the shootout. And he, I think he has the quote of the tournament so far, at least in my mind, is when asked about the save, he's like, uh, what, what matters is to stop the ball with the ears, the nose, whatever. We goalkeepers have many resources. So I'm looking forward to him making a save in the next match with his nose and seeing how that works out for him. <laughs> uh, Karthik, let's talk about David Ospina. In some ways, this was the the day or the two days of of uh, keepers who don't represent their na- their clubs and are representing the national team. We saw Romero do well. Uh, we saw uh, Ochoa, who we'll talk about next, kind of fail, uh, not do so well. And Ospina, who made, I think, three or four appearances for Arsenal, came up big in this game. Yeah, great save in, in stoppage time to to keep uh, Peru off the board and, and save the opportunity to go to the quarterfinals, right? Peru wins the game right, right there and then because uh, keep in mind the Copa we don't have. Uh, we don't extra have extra time, time. right? Uh, so Ospina is the latest in a, in a long line of Arsenal goalkeepers making a uh, 
making an impact in this tournament. We saw uh, Wojciech Szczesny start the first game against Northern Ireland for, for Poland, then give way to Fabianski, his former Arsenal teammate right. editor. Uh, P- Petr Cech has had a fairly good tournament for the Czech Republic. And Ospina it, with, uh, with Colombia. It seems uh, Arsene Wenger can certainly find goalkeepers that are that are, are at a high level. And I think Ospina is a really high-level keeper. It's just... Petr Cech is a next-level keeper, right? He's yeah. when he's on, he's one of the ten best keepers in yeah, the world. Definitely, I, I don't think that him not playing is is a statement at all about uh, his him as a goalkeeper. And as far as uh, Romero, I think we've had this conversation before that Romero uh, he doesn't need to play um, in order to be fi- uh, good for Argentina. Yeah. He has consistently shown throughout his club career he can come in without playing and be good for Argentina. When we get to the Mexico game, we're going to have to talk about Memo Ochoa, who is not playing at Malaga, right. and it showed. Absolutely, yeah. Robert, uh, not Robert, sorry. Uh, uh, Sam Kelly made that point very eloquently about about Romero, so that's well taken. Guys, let's talk about the other game. Let's talk about Chile, Mexico. Uh, Robert, this was, uh, I have to admit, I was one of many people who thought Chile, uh, Mexico was favorites going into this game. Not Karthik, he actually predicted uh, on a show that actually hasn't aired yet, which is the front three, that he thought Mexico would lose to Chile and Chile and Argentina would be the finalists. So as always, Karthik, you're right and we hate you for it. Uh, <laughs> but, but Robert, t- talk to me about this game. As soon as the second goal went in, uh, I thought the game was over because this is how I watched the game. The first goal goes in, that sort of thing happens, you lose defensive structure. Mexico were excellent for a good 25, 30 minutes. And then that, that, uh, I think it was a Sanchez who scored the second goal. And when it was just before halftime and you kind of knew that, that the game was over because Mexico, you could see the body language of the Mexico players walking towards the tunnel and it was, didn't look good. Yeah. You know, I, I was doing a radio spot uh, on Saturday and I told the host, I said, this match will probably be better than any of the Euro matches this weekend. And, well, that was a poor prediction on my well, part. Well, it sort of was if you're a Chile fan. That's true. In terms of just <laughs> utter uh, being flabbergasted, this was one that you won't see for a while. Um, you know, my my thing with Mexico is uh, um, they're a very uh, they're a team that can as uh, can check out at times. You know, I mentioned this in their first match of this tournament, where it seems like they checked out for a good what, 30 minutes or so, and allowed Uruguay to, to almost sneak back in and steal a point, or actually all three points in their match. Um, and when faced with a Chile team, which the attack was just relentless. I mean, it was clinical. It was, you know, just just beautiful. It was, it was the kind of thing that I, I stop and show my daughter to show her how to play soccer and, you know, make passes and dribble. Um, it, it kind of was expected, that second goal, once that went in, it, there you could see that this was probably going to be Mexico – quitting uh i didn't think they'd quit as badly as they did uh i thought that it would be they would at least try and make an effort uh but as the game went on you could just see them just check out um there was they utterly checked out of this and i think that's disappointing because for all of the good that they've done over the past year or so um building this team and the in the the good that they did in this tournament what's gonna linger is kind of you know what brazil in the last world cup what lingers is the beatdown and I think that's going to color this team more than it probably should. Um, we'll see how good Chile is in about a week or week and a half or so. Um, if they win this tournament, they'll, they'll look really, really good. But this result might be not representative of where Mexico is right now. But because of the way that they went on the pitch after those after the first half, it's going to define this team more uh, and, and I think than it should. 
Karthik, that allows me to transition into what I want to ask you because Robert hints at it, hints at it there. Uh, we can talk about the feelings of Mexico or we can talk, and we can talk about how good Chile was. And where we should start the conversation with Chile was that they have underwhelmed in the, in the tournament so far. The, uh, and I want to hear from you. How, how much of this do you see in, in terms of the fact that Chile ma- managed to find the pieces to fit together, that the tactical systems fell into place, they broke very well, counterattacked very well through the likes of Sanchez, and how much of it is solely to the fault of a very, very poor performance from Mexico's defense? I, I think it's a little bit of both. Now, I, look, they, they, they're still reeling from the loss of Sampoli. And PZ has come in, and there there's a natural kind of adjustment period, regression period, and it's taking place in World Cup qualifiers, uh, two World Cup qualifiers in March, and then a, a major tournament, a Copa America. There's no real kind of uh, friendlies or, or those sorts of things to make this transition. So uh, it, it was a bit awkward, right? Obviously the timing mm-hmm. of, of how things went down. You, you add to that that Chile has one of, at least at the club level, one of the five best goalkeepers in the world in Bravo, and he makes a couple of really uncharacteristic mistakes in the group stage. And the types of mistakes you don't expect to see him make in consecutive games at the club level that he never makes in mm-hmm. consecutive games at the club level. So you add that, and then you're, you're thinking, gosh, Chile is underwhelming. Uh, Alexis Sanchez looks off off the pace a bit. Vidal is coming off a, a long season. Uh, he He's at Bayern now. Obviously, uh, Vidal has uh, has previously played in Germany, right? He played for Leverkusen for several seasons. But there was, I think, a bit of an adjustment for him to play at Bayern and play with the, with the players he was playing with. Very good at times, but kind of uh, more, less consistent than he had been at Juve the, the previous season. So there were all these question marks about them, but now we are in a position where we see uh, the team beginning to click. And, and when you have a, a, a Vargas up front, when you have a Vidal, when you have an Alexis Sanchez who, who, who runs the channels and is, is one of the most undefensible players in world football when he's on. And we even see this with Arsenal when he misses chances. It's just he gets into space and, and his combinations with Ozil are so – the one-two game is so pretty with those, right. with those guys. And sometimes Ramsey's in the middle of that and it's, it's, it's very good. Uh, when these guys are clicking, Chile is very tough to stop. And I have to say – I worry a bit for Argentina because there's this expectation that they're going to win this tournament. They um, they didn't make it last year. Chile is tough. And the thing that we saw again yesterday is that now there's a desire. There was this kind of uh, mentality after they got that first goal. And you're very right in saying that until that point, uh, Mexico was, was probably the better side. They were very much on top. The, 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 this desire to win the ball back, to keep going, yeah. to, to snuff out any space. Uh, uh, there, there were, uh, it was almost like the Gary Medell we talk about is this kind of this pit bull, this, this uh, Robbie Savage type player. There were, there were almost like four or five of those guys at, at the back for Chile in this match. So, the determination that they demonstrated in this match, and maybe they're getting settled with PZ, you couple that with the quality they have, it's uh, it's hard to see them uh, losing. And, and again, we're probably going to have the second consecutive Copa, I think, with the, with the same finals matchup, because the way Colombia has played in this tournament, I... Um, 
I just think Chile is, is, is far superior to them right now. Colombia has not played particularly well for me since about the 60th minute of the opening game against the United mm-hmm. States. Yeah. Uh, they didn't play well, well against Paraguay. I think they were very fortunate to win that match. I thought Paraguay were the better team for me, uh, especially from about minute 30 on. Costa Rica, Costa Rica was the better team. I think Peru had a game plan that allowed Colombia to create more chances uh, in the quarterfinal, but Peru very easily could have won that match. So I... I I don't know. I think I think we're looking at Chile winning that semifinal. Yeah, I think Chile are favorites as well, uh, obviously based on this. But I think there's one area that Colombia will be looking at that w- that they could exploit Chile in, and that's the cross uh, cross field pass because Chile played th- this defensive style where the three players, the the, the right, uh, the fullback, the um, one of the three midfielders, as well as the forward, kind of blitz defense whoever's in midfield on the opposition. It's like the old-school NFL blitz defense. They literally (laughs) converge on him on all all sides. If at that moment you can switch the ball over to a winger, uh, you're going to find a lot of space on the opposite opposite wing. Uh, And in Cuadrado, Colombia have exactly that sort of winger who hugs the touchline, who can bring the ball down, who can run at pace, who can run at defenders. So in my opinion, if... Colombia can exploit that one issue, I think, with the Chile midfield defense uh, blitz, uh, the switch ball, then I think Colombia have a chance. Or else, if Chile play like the way they did, they did against Mexico, th- there's no other outcome than a Chile win. Uh, gentlemen, let's uh, move ahead now. Let's actually talk about the European Championships. Robert, let's start with you. Uh, the Group A games are now complete. France has won the group, Switzerland is second, Albania third. They have three points and a goal difference of negative uh, two, and that becomes important uh, as, as we go along uh, in, in terms of who, which one of the third-place teams qualifies. Romania has been eliminated. And the crazy result from today was Albania actually beating Romania, a one nothing win. Uh, I think it's important to note, Robert, that before this game, Albania had had two shots on on goal uh, in the previous two games. Uh, today they had a couple of shots. One of them was a goal, uh, and it was led by a very strong defensive uh, uh, performance by the two players who played together at Napoli. Yeah, and this, you know it, this. It, I, this is the game that I chose to watch, and it was, um, it, it was you know it, one of those games where. It, if the tournament wouldn't have expanded, I think it would have been a less inspiring and less interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, Albania actually had something to play for besides the fact that they were, you know, would have scored their first goal in a major tournament and all that. It would have been, instead of a nice story, they actually were playing for a potential um, advancement. Now, as you noted with the goal difference, it's probably not, it's going to be tough to happen, but it did add some passion for both sides uh, on the pitch, and um, it was uh, it was a, a good one to watch. It was nice to see this team um, score, nice to see the, the celebration afterwards, and to see them do something in a major tournament. And I think that kind of added added to this um, this group a little bit uh, and make the match a little bit more interesting. But in terms of overall group, uh, France did what they needed to do. They won the group, you know, finished first. Switzerland advances as they should with their talent. Um, and then, you know, you have the nice Albania story. Sorry, Romania, this wasn't uh, meant to be for you guys. And, uh, but the group played out as I think everybody thought it, sh- thought it would, except yeah. for maybe three and four switching. But, um, you know, everybody seemed to do what they needed to do except for, for Romania. Yeah. Uh, last time the Euros were held in France, Romania went out in the group stages. So history just repeated itself. Karthik, the, uh, another 
good game from a couple of days ago was the Spain win against Turkey. Uh, we had talked about Spain underwhelming as they continued to do in attacking positions. Uh, but in this game, they actually dominated the game for the most part. Uh, and uh, we're actually hearing about some falling outs in the Turkey camp with Turan not getting along with uh, the manager and things of that sort. But the focus has to be Spain here in, in what was a very comfortable 3 nothing win. Yeah, very comfortable. I think Spain looked, looked, did the business. They, the movement was good. The passing was good. Everything was very crisp. Uh, there's been a lot of concerns about the Spain team and, and Del Bosque maybe not turning the page on some of the players as quickly as he should have. Yeah, and, and the continued problems up up top, Murata, uh, Nolito. Uh, why didn't you bring Diego Costa? But I thought I thought it was a good win. This group now is in complete flux because we don't know what's going to happen with Croatia as we record this. Uh, and I know we're going to get to that in a little bit. The whole the whole fan angle, but uh, there. Uh, there remained uh, remains an opportunity, I think, for Spain to repeat for well, actually, win their third successive European right. Championship. They 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 played that well because there isn't anyone who stood out for me in this tournament yet, uh, other than Italy. Maybe Italy, Spain is, yeah. is is a team that's looked the second best. I think France very fortunate to have seven points. Uh, one one note on on Group A, uh, there was a uh, Sonia was lucky he got away with uh, a shirt tug at the end of that match. I think uh, Switzerland should have had a penalty in stoppage time. They bury that they win the group france was fortunate against albania we know that albania uh, gave them all they could for about 89 minutes romania gave them all they could for about 89 right. minutes so uh you take payet out of the mixer and, and you're looking at a france team as hosts with all this talent that are really struggling which is why uh, there's been this this just kind of very lazy analysis to write off spain and, and i uh and I don't want to do it. I, I'm not going to do it because I think they uh, they are very good at getting results even when they don't play well. The one thing I have to say, though, is that they don't have a player. Koke is not the same kind of player as a uh, as a uh, Xavi Alonso. And mm. that that part is irreplaceable, it seems, in, in, in Del Bosque's setup. Well, One what, of the best what, about, uh, what about Busquets? Uh, he might not have his Busquets, passing range, but... He doesn't have his passing range, mm. is what I was... But would, if, 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 you could, if you could combine Busquets and Iniesta, uh, I guess, yeah, you're right. It, it's not as good as a Xavi Alonso and a Xavi. Yeah, I guess that, yeah. that that's true. Right, so they, 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 they've taken a step back in midfield. There's no question about it, but... They're still so, so good. Look, I, I don't want to uh, – I know we're going to talk about Ronaldo in a little bit, but Xavi Hernandez to me, Xavi, we talk about Messi and Ronaldo. I don't know why it hasn't been a three-person conversation all these years mm. uh, with, with Xavi being that third. Uh, maybe he's the distant third, but he, he's the other great player. And, and you see when he's no longer in a Spain side how the passing and the movement is still real good, but it doesn't seem as effortless. As yeah. it did with him, and it's the same thing with Barcelona. It doesn't seem as effortless as it did when he was there. Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, you have to build the system around players like that, right? When you have Xavi, you're allowed to be a little more ponderous because he can uh, play. He can uh, dictate the play. He can play a pass through. But when you have someone like Iniesta, who can give you maybe a little less possession st- uh, stability, but can play arguably play more. Uh, cutting final passes, then you build a slightly faster system. And I think that's what Barcelona did, and I think that's what Spain are trying to do. Because they realize that you might not have 99.9% of the possession with Iniesta controlling that midfield as you did with Xavi. You might have 70%, but you're probably going to create 
a little bit more. So, yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, the next game Spain plays is against Croatia. They're, Spain is currently on six points, Croatia on four, uh, and Czech Republic and Turkey uh, looking like both of them would probably go out. They actually play each other, and I, I think that'll be a draw, which will eliminate both of them almost certainly. Uh, gentlemen, let's talk about uh, the next game that I wanted to discuss, which was the Germany-Poland game, Robert. Uh, when we talked about this game, we, we kind of briefly previewed it. We talked about the the key personnel in, in terms of uh, the likes of Neuer, Lewandowski, and you know we can name off, rattle off the names of that German team. But the point is that that Germany team did not click the way we expected to. I personally thought that Poland could have had a... F- uh, could have actually created a little bit more. Uh, I thought Lewandowski missed a couple of chances. So we talked about this very briefly in the last review, uh, but I think this game is worth revisiting. Yeah, you, you stole you stole some of my good points on that one because ah. I agree with you 100%. Um, the power of the microphone. Um, yeah, yeah you the know, power was... of host. <laughs> exactly. Here's a ranking. Um, the... the... You know, I, I don't always agree with what's said on um, television analysis because I, I think it, it can sometimes get a little bit lazy. But Michael Ballack said an interesting something after this match. And he said, uh, Germany, we, we usually take the second game off. Um, <laughs> and, and it's it's like, okay. But if you think about it, you know, yeah, Germany did look off. The, the passing looked a little bit. And it didn't, it didn't, they didn't look like they were clicking. It didn't look like this German machine that we're used to seeing and talking about. Um but at the end of the day, they got a draw. They got what they they done what they needed to do. I don't I don't think there's any injuries that, if I could think of coming out of this match. The, you know, it was it, they did what they needed to do. They got a point. And they moved on. Now, was it beautiful? Was it fancy? Was it you know something that people will write sonnets about? No. Um, could they play better? Yes. Uh, were they lucky that Poland didn't convert? Lewandowski didn't convert some chances. Absolutely. Um, but I didn't feel like that they were outclassed in this match and and they 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 did they got it done and they'll yeah. move on and and you know if they do this in a couple of rounds then you should worry but eh, yeah. you know they're they're still on top of that group but Karthik you talked about Xabi Alonso and it's like uh if you look at that Bayern team uh Xabi really adds a little bit of an element in there whereas with this German team you can say that they're missing a fully fit Schweinsteiger yeah. and yeah. uh they're missing that Xabi Alonso type player who would be playing at Bayern uh, but the point is that Kadira, in particular, I think, has been found out in many games. I, I know he was one of the stars of the World Cup, but this Euros, he has underwhelmed. No, he's been. I, I had this conversation with someone last night. I thought I think Kadira is way, well off the pace. He's been exposed in the first two matches of this tournament, and, and uh, he's got Northern Ireland coming at him next. Assuming he starts right, uh, he's they've got Northern Ireland who right. have. Uh, who have done some interesting things of, uh, in, in that central midfield area in this tournament. So that's another challenge for Kadira. Uh, Schreinstager looks well off uh, the pace, and that's coming off a, a, an injury-plagued season with Manchester United. The fullbacks, they got away with playing four, uh, they, four central defenders in the World Cup. Right. But at times, they were opened up. They were opened up against Ghana. They were opened up against Algeria in, in the quarterfinal uh, round of 16. And then we're pretty settled from that point forward. But I, I'm seeing some of those problems again with playing uh, – 
guys as outside backs that are natural center backs. I, I thought that Poland w- were able to to create uh, some opportunities by go- putting the ball in wide areas, uh, having uh, uh, players uh, make diagonal runs from wide areas and not be picked up. Confusion on the German back line. So that, that that's a concern. They don't have uh, Philip Lahm playing either at right back, obviously, or in that Xavi role or Xavi Alonso role uh, to, to, to move the ball around. There's a lot about this German team yeah. I don't like. And they don't have an out-and-out striker that can score goals. So perhaps if they weren't Germany, we would be writing this team off, and we probably should. However, they are Germany, and there's a mentality that gets them through these tournaments. But I look at this German team, and it's it's uh, it's almost like 2014 was the end of, a, of an upward crest mm-hmm. when they were very good in the 2008 Euros. They were very good. They were the best team in the 2010 World Cup, but got beat by Spain in the semifinals. 2012 Euros should have been their tournament, but Balotelli had a masterful game against them in the semifinal. They could have won four tournaments in a row. The only guy right now playing at a really, really advanced level is, is, is Mesut Ozil. The rest of the German team, I think, is maybe maybe it's what Bollock said. They're taking the second game off. They took the first game off and somehow got through it because Ukraine is that poor. But I don't like what I see from them, quite frankly. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? We can, we can also almost make that argument we were making about Chile with them, that in some ways they're one excellent game away from hitting form, but they're also one game away from being absolutely abject. So th- th- I think the next game is important to them, even though I think regardless of what happens, they will qualify. But I think it's important for them to at least have a good performance, have the likes of Goetze, uh and, and Otso get on the ball and try to deal with the fact that they don't have a Miroslav closer up top. Uh, it is and- a dangerous game for them because Northern Ireland has a lot of relief right now. Right. Michael O'Neill's got that team playing well. I think they there were points in the Poland game where they didn't play well, but they were good at portions in that game they were very good against ukraine very compact and then uh once they got to a certain point in the game they were able to 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 get the ball into wide areas and do the sorts of things that we saw poland do against germany so i think it's a dangerous game i I don't think northern ireland will win but northern ireland gets a draw they go through they might go through with a one nil loss so uh, Germany is going to be tested. They're playing against a team that has a lot to play for and a team that now, after being sh- uh, starstruck in the first game against Poland, now they're comfortable in a major tournament. Yeah. And uh, Germany is, uh, they need to make a statement uh, against Northern Ireland, and I don't think they will, quite frankly. Oof. We'll find out, guys. And let's talk about a team that did make a statement, Robert. Belgium, after everything that we've crit- – I think it's the it's the Eurocopa podcast. As soon as we criticize a team, it does well. So we should uh, we should take all the credit for this performance, uh, Belgium beating Ireland 3-0. Uh, and it was buoyed by something that we talked about last time, the fact that players for at least 30, 40 minutes did hold their positions. You saw De Bruyne hold his position. You saw uh, Hazard actually play uh, less of a free role. You saw Lukaku not drop way too deep. And those things contributed uh, to what was a comfortable win. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when players play up to potential and they actually a team actually plays like they're <laughs> supposed to. Um, yeah, it, it was interesting to see what the response was because this, this match was almost a, is Italy that good or was Belgium that bad? And it kind of turned out to be a little bit of both, but, um, yeah, I mean, Belgium just kind of turned it on in the second half. And, um, my question going into this game was, you know, you had a, a manager who was known for motivating players, but the body language and the play from their first match was so poor that if that was what Vilmots brought, then they were in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like his formula worked in this match um, against an Ireland team that we knew would have troubles coming in to this group. 
Um, so, you know, good for Belgium. It was a good win. They, they looked like the machine everybody thought that they, they would be. Um, so they got the points they needed. We'll see what happens, though, for the next match. Um, I, you know, I, I think based on this, they'll be fine. This is hopefully the wake-up call that they needed. Um, I mean, Sweden in the next match, is, Sweden's got all kinds of troubles right now. Um, they have the, you know, they're obviously the, the dangerous player, Ibrahimovic, but I think this who? match it looks who, like who, might, who who is that? He's some guy that that plays for <laughs> Europe somewhere. Okay. Um, is a lot. But um, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. So um, it, it's you know I, I think this might be the kind of match that we turn around and say, okay, this is where they turned it on if they continue to advance and play well. Kartik, Belgium just needs a point against yeah. uh, that against that Ibra led team, uh, and we talked about how we felt about Sweden. Can you see Sweden actually beating Belgium? Because no. in that case, Belgium goes third. No, I, I, I think maybe Belgium got the wake up call they needed from all of us and from mm. not just us. I mean, everybody. It was us. It was us. You know, it was everybody. <laughs> Take the credit. I haven't I, seen I'm such taking. a uh, such a reaction universally because international football is a very parochial thing, right? So the media is very parochial to their countries, or they follow the countries they're, they're assigned to cover. I think because we had all put so much stock in this Belgian golden generation. Right. It's just era we live in there was such uh scorn uh, heaped on mark wilmots after after monday and he, you heard it on our show about mm-hmm. uh and and other uh, appearances i've made radio appearances i've made in the last uh week about how this was such a disappointment this team is a disaster uh, these players are all selfish they they're not tactically disciplined and voila completely different in this match i think uh the incorporation of musa dembele really help them and uh, uh, and then I would also say that putting De Bruyne centrally yeah. and, and allowing him to, 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 to kind of combine with Lukaku and he's closer than to Hazard they don't have to keep pushing in and, and getting out of position uh, was uh, w- was very very useful I felt bad for Marwan Fellaini because I think he was one guy who did play well in the first game against Italy but I guess if you're going to uh, showcase your best players and put them in, in, in the positions where they can succeed the most you had to uh, to drop him. And I think Carrasco gave them some width, the width they were lacking and the disciplined width that they were lacking in the first game. So, no, I think Sweden will probably get wiped out. And, and uh, I mean, I'm back on the bandwagon, guys. It's crazy. <laughs> international football can change one result. But, God, honestly, guys, just watching that second half, you see how good Belgium can be. Yeah. And you realize that player for player, they are still better than any other team in this tournament. Now they just have to do that consistently because they can still win this tournament. They're going to get out of the group. That's all they needed to do, right? They're not going to win yeah. the group. Italy's already won the group, but they uh, they could still win this thing. Karthik, I'm going to stick with you to talk briefly about Group uh, Group F because this is the group that has defied analysis and it, it's produced some some exciting results, but some very poor fo- football. Uh, currently, Hungary are in first with four points. Iceland and Portugal are second and third, respectively, with two points each. Uh, and Austria are in the fourth p- place with a point. Karthik, Portugal played out a nil-nil draw against Austria. Uh, and regardless of what Cristiano might say, uh, the, the things he said after the Portugal draw against Iceland, he himself has struggled in this tournament. And... More so than him, I have been very disappointed by this Portugal team. I think Nani, a few minutes here and there aside, there hasn't been a single player in this team that can that can say that they're playing for the shirt right now. It looks disjointed, it looks passionless, and it looks directionless. 
yeah, Nani's the only guy that's looked good at times, and he's only been at times, right? He's right. been inconsistent, but he's shown some flashes. He's made some mm-hmm. very smart runs. Uh, took his chance well in the first game. Uh, Austria, by the way, I think has been the, the absolute worst team in this entire tournament. Mm-hmm. I know there are other teams with no points, and they, they got this point against Portugal because of Portugal misfiring, but what a disappointment they've been. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we weren't talking about uh, Portugal, we'd be talking about Austria and how bad Austria has been and how uh, toothless they they are and, and why they have a lob of another piece of analysis I don't agree with everything on television also, like Robert. Another interesting piece of analysis from Michael Bollock is why is Alaba playing so far forward where he doesn't see enough of the ball? And mm-hmm. uh, Bollock said that about three times yesterday on our broadcast here in the United States. And, and I agree with that because Alaba is, is, is absolutely worthless in this setup. Uh, Portugal, gosh, I mean, it, it could still be Ronaldo's tournament. I think there's so much pressure on him and so much expectation on him. And, he, and, and this started right after a Champions League final where he played very poorly. Uh, there's just something not right. And they've got, um, they've now got uh, to win this game against a Hungarian team that is very confident and a Hungarian team, I think, that has kept the ball extremely well in their first two matches. Now, granted, Austria, I've already said, is probably the worst team in this tournament, believe it or not, even though coming in, some people thought they were. Uh, outsiders, the dark horse that could really make a, a, a strong run, and Iceland uh, got ahead in in, in that match and and, so, and, and sort of uh, were on the back foot after that. But I think Hungary has shown us a lot in that midfield, and Portugal may not get the number of opportunities against Hungary based on how well Hungary's kept the ball, how well they've kept their shape in their first two games, as they did against Iceland and as they did against, uh, especially against Austria. So they better take their chances in this game, and that means Cristiano. Better stay on side, and if he got a chance in the year, he's got to nail it. If he, and if he put has away a chance penalties. To, yeah, put away penalties. Uh, take some inspiration from his teammate, Gareth Bale, and uh, you get a free kick in, in dangerous area. Put it on frame. Make the goalkeeper uh, uh, work. He hasn't done that yet. He hasn't done right. that in this tournament at all. I mean, if, if you want to uh, – I, I thought this was going to be a tournament where – Potentially, Real Madrid's two big guns, uh, Ronaldo and Bale, were going mano y mano, and I and I said that on on one of our shows earlier. Uh, Bale's been very good. We're going to talk about Wales in a few minutes. R- Ronnie, he hasn't shown up. Yeah, I dare you, Karthik. I dare you to walk up to Cristiano and tell him to get inspiration from Bale. I absolutely dare you. <laughs> <laughs> but All right, let's. Go ahead. Work Go ahead, because he, of the criticism. He would now he will now be uh, play at a higher level, as you've said before. Once you get mm. criticized on the podcast, you just there That's you go. That's true. So you're welcome. Thank yous. You're welcome, Cristiano. Robert, let's talk about Group B. Russia plays Wales tomorrow uh, in what will be a ga- in what will almost certainly be a game that will be discussed with the lens of off field stuff more than what actually happens on the pitch. Because I think, uh, barring a, a comfortable win for Russia, they are out of this tournament. Uh, Wales needs a draw, and realistically, even if they lose tomorrow, they might actually go through uh, to the next round. So, uh, talking to you about the, the, what do you see in this game? Because outside of the bail factor, uh, do you see other positions or other tactical matchups that are crucial to whatever result you predict? Yeah, I think we've seen Aaron Ramsey play very well so far mm. in this tournament. I think he's a critical player for this uh, for Wales going forward, not only in this match. Um, this uh, it's hard to talk about this with some of the off the field stuff going on and, and you know what the atmosphere is going to be like and everything like that. But I think if you look at Wales, um, 
disappointing result against England. How did they shake that off and come back out and play against a team they should beat? I think if you have Gareth Bale playing the way he is, you have uh, the Wales midfield playing as well as it could. You keep having Aaron Ramsey uh, making those link-up plays and, and connections. Um, then I think they'll be fine and they'll advance uh, as they should. Uh, it, the key is just to see how do they respond how do they play against this Russia team, and do they do they look like the Wales team that we're kind of expected, which is a pretty good team that could cause some trouble in the later rounds? Karthik, uh, I'll have you expand on Russia-Wales a little bit, but I want to focus on talking about Slovakia-England as well. Uh, we will continue to talk about the off-field stuff, but uh, England need a draw to pretty much guarantee that they'll win this group, uh, barring uh, something, uh, barring Wales beating Russia. Um, and oh, from- barring Wales beating Russia, right. Yeah, and from that perspective, uh, you can almost see, give, given the way England play, it is going to be a draw, and it's going to be a boring game that probably ended in nil-nil. Right, but I think Roy Hodgson now, knowing he's got four points, has an opportunity to rotate his squad, uh, maybe uh, use some of the players we have not yet seen play critical roles in this tournament, and and I think obviously the the the, the uh, calls are very loud, right, for Vardy and Sturridge, but there are opportunities for other guys uh, to, to to play in this match, and and I think uh, it it would be interesting to see uh, what Ross Barkley might offer. It's interesting to see what uh, Jack Wilshire, if given. I, I mean, I personally don't think Wilshire should be on the team. I think Drinkwater should be there or, or Mark Noble. I've been very vocal about that, but since Drinkwater's not there and and uh, Michael Carrick's not there and Wilshire is the guy who's going to play that role, see what he can do for, from the start and and play him sixty minutes. And maybe this is a chance to give Wayne Rooney some rest because. Because I think uh, uh, he, he's worn down and we know he's had some injury problems. Uh, this is a tough game, though. I, I, you know, positioning, it depends on how important it is positioning for England to finish first in the group. If that's a moral victory, if that's something that gets them an easier round of 16 matchup. I know there's been uh, some projections that they could actually face Northern Ireland in the uh, round of 16, which would be very, uh, very interesting matchup for uh, all the obvious reasons we don't have to get into here. But the... Um, the, the, the thing I wonder is you've got to account for Hamsick. You've got to account for the type of uh, uh, movement we saw in the midfield by uh, Slovakia in the victory over Russia. You know, quick kind of pass and move, not as much uh, as many guys just sitting on the ball as we had seen in their first game against Wales. Uh, and, and then the kind of the diagonal runs you've seen from there uh, from Mock and from uh, uh, Vlad Weiss. You wonder if England, this is a to rotate, and if they lose the game, they lose the game. I, they're going to get four points. And, um, or if they go ahead and play for a nil-nil and uh, just move on to the next round. Look, England has not looked good in this tournament. But that having been said, nobody has looked particularly good in this tournament, with the exception of Italy and, and I think Spain, as, as I mentioned, and Belgium now maybe getting back to their best. So uh, if, if you England likes to use Germany as a benchmark, if you want to use Germany as a benchmark, England's probably played better than Germany in this tournament. Yeah. So uh, maybe they take the draw and, and they get out, but uh, I'll be interested just to see Hodgson's uh, squad selection, and maybe he'll have an eye on the Wales game because, of course, if if they draw and Wales beats Russia, as I think they should, uh, and as I think UEFA would want them to, then you're in a position where uh, uh, England might finish second or third in the group. So they they they, uh, they do need to be careful. Yeah, if England wins, they, as Karthik mentioned, they probably will play Northern Ireland because the winner of Group E plays the best third place team out of Group A, C, and D, which right now is Albania, Northern Ireland, 
uh, and the Czech Republic. Uh, and the way the points are right now, it'll probably be between Albania and Northern Ireland, which means it'll probably be Northern Ireland. So uh, good shout there, Karthik. And we will be back Wednesday, gentlemen, to uh, review the Copa America semifinals as well as talk about by then the culminated group stages of uh, of the European Championships. Uh, until then, on behalf of everyone here at World Soccer Talk, I'm your host Nipun Chopra, and on behalf of Robert Hay, Karthik. Unless you're Juan Carlos Osorio or a member of the Mexican squad, you're enjoying your football. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.